0: Good morning. Sorry, it probably sounded like I was taking a contemplative pause there, but really I'm just catching my breath. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. Good? Good. The first time I asked you, I had my in-ear monitors in and I can't hear anything, so I couldn't really tell how you guys were doing, so I'll ask you again this time. So as you know, we are picking up in our study of Galatians partway through what is called chapter three in our Bibles. So up until this point, we're going to kind of do a little recap of what we have learned. So Paul is writing a letter to the people of the area of Galatia to inform them that they are out of step with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he opens his letter up with a charge. Here is what the gospel is. Here is the gospel that we proclaimed to each and every one of you. Then he continues on and lets them know essentially what is happening. He builds a case, he builds a thesis that essentially is talking about this idea that some people came in, preached a gospel that was contrary to the one that they knew, and Paul says, by the way, if you do that, you're accursed. So then he continues on and says, what is happening is you guys are starting to live the way that the Jewish people were living, that the law is going to be what saves you. So this essence of the term, the gospel plus. You guys get what I say when I say that? It's the gospel plus. So it's not just the saving grace of Jesus. It's the saving grace of Jesus plus circumcision, plus maybe food laws, who you eat with, who you hang out with. All of those things play a factor into your salvation. Now, last week, Daniel kind of talked about this, and he hit on it. And what I want to do is I want to pick up right where he left off. So I'm using my scripture journals. Just so you guys know, I'm not I'm not, this, not using a Bible here. This is a cool copy of the Bible. Do you guys all have one? Does everybody have one? If you don't, there are some still to pick up, right? So you guys can have one of these. And what's cool about the scripture journal is you can preach out of these because you can make your notes right there. So hopefully you guys are making your notes and you can take what we have taught you to go proselytize to other people because hopefully you guys know that when we preach sermons or teach you guys, it is not to just end with you, that we should hopefully be taking notes, understanding things so that we can then use that to teach others. Right? Is that true? Yes. You guys all agree with me on that? Okay, good. I hope we're on the same boat. Because if not, I was going to stop and we were going to have a sermon on that. So, all right. So, Daniel left off last week with verse um, 9. So, I want you guys to go back to verse 9. So, we're going to go back, not because I don't think Daniel covered it well enough, but it helps tie in with what we're going to start with, with verse 10. So, Paul says, so then, those who are of faith... Are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So, hopefully, if you were here last week, you remember when Daniel talked about that, that this blessing comes through faith. When when God said he would bless Abraham, it came through faith, not through the things that Abraham was doing, not through the law that he gave Moses later on down the road. None of those things. It was his faithfulness, right? His faith in God. So then what Paul does is, in our ESV Bibles, it splits it up here. In a lot of other Bibles, it doesn't. This is just a continuation. So what it says next is, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. So... (coughs) What, what Paul is really getting at here is he's saying there's two different ways, essentially, and I know you guys are like, please bear with me when I say this. There are two ways to salvation. Okay, and a lot of us are going to go, what? And I'm saying, there is. And the first one, he says that if you, we are under a curse because not everyone can abide by the law. The law is a way to salvation. What do we see? We see Jesus perfectly obeyed the law, he fulfilled that for us. Now, I'm gonna talk about that later. But that is one way. Now, as we dive deeper in here, what does it say? It says that everyone who does not abide by the things written in the book. So you're gonna be cursed if you don't abide by these. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So now what is he saying? He's saying, okay, wait, you could live by the law, but you're gonna be probably cursed because of it. So then, essentially, you have to live by faith. So what does he go on to say? But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So again, he's going back to the law. If you choose to live by the law, you have to honor it completely. It's a whole thing. You can't just honor parts of it or sometimes or this. It's got to be 100% from start to finish. You have to honor it. I don't know about you guys, but I've broken some of the law. And just to give you guys a little cue in here, there are about 242 positive commands and 365 prohibitions. You guys know them all? Okay, so we probably failed then. All right, so we're all on the same page, right? We're we're all there. So now we go, okay. So we get what Paul is saying now. We get this. He says, if you choose to live by the law, then you have to live by it. You have to honor it. You have to go completely 100% in. So then he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So what I want to do is, part of what I like to do is I like to try and teach. And you guys know the difference between teaching and preaching? Preaching is I'm going to continue to tell you guys the gospel message, and I'm going to kind of uh, present that, and I want to do that. But teaching is also instructing on how we can become better learners of God's word and how we can dive into it deeper and how we can study it, because the ultimate goal is not for you to continue to come here and want more and more and more and more from us. The goal is to feed you so that you can feed yourselves. I want you to be able to pick up this passage and go, I know exactly what Will's going to preach today. And it's going to be awesome. (laughs) Thanks for the affirmation, guys. (laughs) Oh, man. If I didn't teach middle school, I'd be crushed right now. Okay. So what I'm going to teach you guys is how I go about studying. I found this great resource, one of my favorite things. A lot of you guys are looking at me going, it's a Bible. Yeah, okay, I got that. It's called an Amplified Bible. An Amplified Bible. Now, you don't have to go buy one. That's okay. If you have a smartphone, most of you have the Bible app, and it's one of the ones that you can download. What does the Bible app do? Or what what does the Amplified Bible do? It dives deeper for us so that we can understand a little bit more what does the text say. Because that's the first question we're trying to ask every week. What does the text say? So let's, uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to open up here to chapter 3, verse 10. So if you want to follow along in your Bible, if you have an ESV, an NIV, whatever it is, they're all God's word. You can follow along and you can see what is going to happen here is that this Bible is going to add some words in that would be the implied meanings or like the background piece that would help us understand the original Greek context. Because English does not capture Greek in the perfect way that it, that it possibly could. All right? So here we go. Verse 10. For all who depend on the law, which is seeking justification and salvation by obedience to the law and the, observe, er, and the observance of rituals, are under a curse. For it is written, cursed, or condemned to destruction is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law so as to practice them now i want you to make a little note if you have it somewhere that's deuteronomy 27 26 so right off the bat what do we learn paul the foundation of his argument is going back to where old testament he says y'all want to play games We can play games. I'm going to go back to where you're trying to push people, back to the Old Testament, back to law. I can go back and I can show you this. So then we go to verse 11. Now it is clear that no one is justified, that is, declared free of the guilt of sin and its penalty and placed in right standing before God by the law. For the righteous, that is, the just and the upright, shall live by faith. I want to make another note. Habakkuk 2.4. I'm not going to read all these. You guys can check me when, I get home, or when you get home. Habakkuk 2.4 is that verse. So where did he go back again? Old Testament. It's okay if you guys talk in this service, I promise. Okay? But the law does not rest or require faith. It has nothing to do with faith. But instead, the law says, he who practices them, the things prescribed by the law, shall live by them instead of faith. I love the contrast there that you guys see. So it's not, it's, it's showing that it cannot be both of them. It's got to be one or the other. Now, write this one down, Leviticus 18.5. That was verse 12. Again, he goes where? Old Testament. Old Testament. All right, we're getting better at this. All right, here we go. Thirteen, Christ purchased our freedom and redeemed us from the curse of the law and its condemnation by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, "Cursed is everyone who hangs or is crucified on a tree." The cross. Deuteronomy twenty-one twenty-three. It's our last one. Where did he go back to? Awesome. Thank you. So before I finish this last verse, what do we see? Where is Paul basing his arguments? Old Testament, Testament, right out of Scripture. He's essentially telling them, you guys missed this. You're missing it. Last verse. In order that Jesus Christ, the blessing of Abraham, might also come to the Gentiles so that we all receive the realization of the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. You guys feel like you have a better understanding? Kind of clears things up a little bit, doesn't it? It adds in some context, some uh, depth to what we're learning. Now, when I was processing through this passage, and I was thinking about how he goes back to the the, uh, Old Testament, I was thinking about, um, every once in a while, I, I get invited to play games at people's houses, and I don't think people like playing games with me, and I'm going to tell you why. Because people tell me the rules, and I listen to the rules, right? I like to hear them, all right? I see that. And I hear a rule, and I go, oh, that doesn't sound right. That seems kind of strange. And then the first time it happens, and somebody, like, like, uses that rule to their advantage, you know what the first thing I do is? Go back to the rule book. like, hey, wait a second. And then I go, wait, it doesn't say that? And they go like this. "Uh, It's just just a house rule. That's how we've always played. Right? Have you guys ever had that happen when you play a game with somebody? Yeah. I really think that that's what Paul's getting at here. Y'all had the rule book, but you made up your own house rules. So I'm going to go back to the rule book and I'm going to show you that multiple times, it says everything contrary to what you are saying. You want us to be circumcised. You want the new believers to obey the food laws. You want them to not fellowship with, uh, with the Gentiles. That's not what this says. It says by faith alone. And he keeps pointing that out to them. We've seen that over and over again. He keeps pointing it out. He's trying to build his case here. So essentially, what does this text say? It says, go back and read the Old Testament. Go back and read the prophets that you had before you. They showed us that Jesus was coming and what he was gonna do to fulfill the law. Now I think it's interesting to point out a few things. Let's go back to the top here and let's take out a few of like, what does this mean? Cursed is everyone who does not abide by the things written in the book of the law. So you don't follow it? You're under a curse. So how do we view the law? The law is a curse. I want us to understand that. So many times when we read through the Old Testament, we think about it in this way. Jesus or God gave the Israelites the law so that they could have this uh, great life they could understand these, these great things that, Jesus, that God wants and that it was supposed to be some sort of big blessing to them to have the law. But what does Paul say that the law was? It's was a curse. Going back to what I said earlier, 242 commands, 365 prohibitions. It's impossible. It's heavy. So Paul says, Understand, it's a curse to live under the law. It's not good. Then he goes on. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So he's pointing it out to us now. What does this say? He says that we can't live under the law. It's impossible. So faith is the only way now. So there was two roads. One of those roads is closed off. There's only one road now. You have to live by faith, and faith alone. And our contrast: the law is not faith. And then, verse thirteen: Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is cur- or for it is written, "Curses everyone who's hanged on a tree." Now, I want us to understand this passage. Jesus being nailed to the tree was not the curse. I want us to understand that again. So I'm going to say it: Jesus being nailed to the cross was not the curse. What do we mean by that? Well, if we go back to the Old Testament, here's what would happen: you would commit a sin, a violation of the law. Let's let's go with. I'll go with one that was for some reason I can think of right now. Um, you dishonor your parents. You are unruly. I remember talking to my dad about this. I was like, "This would have been crazy," because I rebelled a little bit in my middle school years and high school. And it said if you were unruly too much, what we were you supposed to do? Take them to the elders, and if they, if you didn't respond, then they just took you out and stoned you. That was it. That was the law. So they take you out and stone you, and then what they would do is they would hang you on like a post. They would just like stick you up there out in front of the town. To say that this person was unruly, they couldn't follow the law, so they were cursed. Here's how we show that. So then we apply that to what we're talking about in this passage where it says curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. What this is really saying is the curse, the, the, the weight of the law was placed on Jesus because he fulfilled it perfectly And he wore the brunt of that, why he was hanging on the tree before he died. Why have you forsaken me? The curse was upon him then. The cross was the symbol to show that he had taken that curse. That's what Paul is getting at here. So remember, the cross was not the curse. The weight of the law was the curse. That should be heavy to us. All 600 things, at least, he fulfilled perfectly. And then last, in 14, when we think about what does this mean? So that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So what does this mean? It means we look back at the Old Testament and we say, where was the promise? Well, Paul refers to this later as the mystery. The mystery. We have to look at the law in kind of this unique way to really understand what he's talking about. The The promised spirit through faith. All throughout the Old Testament, we see different things. Commit a sin, penance is paid of some sort. Animal dies. Blood is uh, poured on the altar. The meat is sacrificed. Wave offerings, all these kind of things. And what we have to understand is in no way was that an attempt to try and erase the sin of man what all that sacrifice was and everything that we see happening in there is always supposed to point and foreshadow the coming of the Lamb who was slain for our sins. So when we read this and we see that what we might receive the promised spirit through faith is that we see all of the law, all of these things that happened, all the rituals, all of that was not supposed to be so that we could like be guilt-free and like, be happy with ourselves, or I'll just sin and kill a dove or I'll sin and a goat is done and so on, I'm back to even. It was all meant to point us towards Jesus. Something has to die. Something has to atone for our sins that needs to fulfill the law perfectly because that is the curse of the law. So I think how do we naturally resist this? I think there's a lot of ways that we naturally resist this. I think one of the first ways that that came to my mind in the way we resist this is exactly what it says in here. We want to go to some sort of legalistic gospel, moralistic gospel, where we want to put gospel plus But I think one of the other ways that we can do this, especially for us, we want to try and see how do we naturally resist this, is a lot of us want to say, well, I never lived under the law, so to go back to it, that's just crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have that issue because I never lived under it. I wasn't wasn't Jewish. Right? Are you guys there with me? (laughs) Have you lived under the law? (coughs) No? Uh, Maybe, kind of. uh, But were you actually like, Going to the, the Torah and reading through Levit, like, the Levitical law and going like, okay, what am I going to do today? No, we don't do that. So then we go, okay, so good. Check the box. I'm done. I got this. We'll end it. Send it home. Jesus died for my sins. Move on. That's not the thing, though. I think what happens is we have to put this into our context today and say, how do we Do the same thing that we see the people in here fall into this trap of. And I think we actually go a way that that is kind of a strange circular event. So I'm going to explain it to you guys. I think what actually happens is we actually resist this by saying, great, Jesus died for my sins, now I'm done. And then we fall into this temptation where nothing happens after that. We just sit still. And we go back to the life we lived before. Well, Jesus saved me. There's, that's it. That's it, right? I'm done. And then our life looks exactly the same. Well, Paul's telling the Jewish people that's not true. When you find the gospel, when you find the, the good news, you get the spirit. And we fight that. We don't. We actually naturally probably don't want the spirit in us. We try to challenge that. And then what we do is we just relax, we rest and we just say, as long as I do more good than bad, I'm okay. Whether we think that or not, that's what we do a lot of times. I don't have to gather with the church because I went like 50 times last year, so I'm good. I'm not committing adultery, so I must be all right with the big guy. We get sleepy. We get calloused. We go back to our normal lives. This is how we do the same thing that we, that we read about here, the, the Jewish um, people who came back into this town to try and add something to the gospel. That's what we are adding to the gospel, that the gospel, the grace, is saves us, and then there is nothing beyond that. We have justification, and then to use a fancy term, there is no sanctification. And what does sanctification mean? Well, it's a fancy way of saying that you are becoming more like Christ. So we fight this constantly, we battle. And here in the church in America, we kind of like feed on it. It's good. Just be okay. You're justified. That's it. Live. Be happy. Make sure you got your 401k. 403b if you work nonprofit like me. Right? Yeah. Make sure your kids got a nice college fund. Pray that they get good jobs so they can take care of you in their old age. That's what I'm hoping for. Gabby, she's smart, so I hope she'll take care of me. This is what we long for, the things of the world, what we see people in our next door doing the same thing that don't believe in Christ. It's the, same, it's the same business. It's the same mode of operation. And I think it would be naive for us to just stop at this passage and just say, that's what Paul's talking about and we're done. I want to remember that even as we preach through individual parts of this passage, this thing was meant to be a letter that was read together. That flowed from one piece to the next, to the next, to the next. So to just stop here, I think, would be like pulling up short. And like, I'm going to lay up in the golf game because I'm afraid to go for the hole. And I don't want to do that. So we're going to kind of go on. And I'm going to cross some other people's sermons. So Nathan, Daniel, I'm sorry if I hit in one of your guys's. I want to make sure that we understand how Jesus fulfilled this for us. And what does that mean for us? We talked about this earlier. Jesus fulfilled the law. He lived the law perfectly that we could never do. He did everything perfect. And then he, uh, we like to talk about this. Jesus, I think, actually set the bar even higher with some of his commands that he gave to us with the way he lived his life with the way he told us to serve one another. Jesus came down and fulfilled the law and then like gave us even more. But what's awesome about that is the way that he fulfilled the law. He bore the curse that was on us. He wore that weight for us. And in by satisfying that curse, we now get to receive the spirit Now, we always joke around here uh, when when Daniel, Nathan, and I meet that Nathan's got this great sermon on the Holy Spirit, and I think that would be a great time for him to come up and give that. Because one thing that we miss is that Paul is emphasizing here that you will receive the promised Spirit through faith. Jesus made a way so that the Spirit could come dwell in us. And what does the Spirit dwelling in us do for us? Some people just say, great and we leave it at kind of that Sunday school thing, God's in my heart. You guys know what I'm talking about? God's in my heart. But if there's no context there, if there's no depth, if there's no understanding, if there's no richness, that is not changing. We're talking about the spirit, the same power that was with Jesus when he was here is now alive in us. It's changing us. It is shaping us. And that's what Paul is getting at here. When Jesus died and wore the weight of the curse of our sin, our shame, everything that you can think of. He was telling us it was not only just to remove the curse from us, but to give us something that will help us live a life abundance that the law could never do and we could never do on our own. Because of who we are, the law could never fulfill us. Because we'll always stray from it. We'll always run from it, and then the law just is a weight, and it just becomes this like burden that holds on us. So, then how do we live out of this? I think the biggest piece is for us is to remember that we have the promised spirit dwelling in us. I'm going to say it about four more times before this sermon is over. You, I, if our faith is in Jesus Christ, we have the spirit of God dwelling in us. If we have the spirit of God dwelling in us, then we will have changed lives. Things cannot look the same. The things you desired before you became a believer of Christ, before he called you, cannot be the same desires. Our hearts cannot chase after the things of this world and the things of God because we know that they are not the same. I think to myself, what does that look like practically? The possessions that I buy, the way I spend my time, I even think about for my daughters. What did I want for my daughters? Well, I don't know. I want them to have a good life. What does a good life mean? I don't know. Go to college, get a good job, be secure. Is that supposed to change? I don't know. But Jesus says that your life should look new. It should be changed. It should be, so how do, how do I hope in that? I don't know. Maybe I start praying that my daughter becomes a missionary and goes off, and I never see her again we laugh but that might be what we how how crazy is that for us to think about our life should look completely different i want my daughter to grow up wanting to chase jesus with everything she has and if she wants to go to a place where she's probably going to die to make sure people get to hear about jesus then amen and go If I have to pull my retirement out so I'm unsecure, so she can go off and do that, then I'm going to do that because I'm not worried about the things of this world. The Spirit will allow us to do that. If we are resting on ourselves, we're going to say, no way. No, I can't do that. I can't pull the trigger on that. Then what am I going to do? But if we have the spirit dwelling in us, the spirit is going to push us towards what is good. And what is good is God and God alone. As Paul said, we cannot go back to the way that we were before we found Jesus. It's not okay. It's not good. It shouldn't be what our heart desires. And I'm going to go to a passage. Maybe many of you guys want to go there. Titus 2, 11 through 14. So we think about what does this mean for us. I think one of the other traps that we can fall into is we can also think about this idea, this phrase. I love this phrase. You guys ready for it? Good works. Good works. When we hear good works, a lot of us go to this negative thing. Oh, nope, we're not saved by works. Okay, I got that. But there is such thing as good works. And what's the difference? Well, let's take a look here at what he, Paul says to Titus later on. And if I stumble along, just so you guys know, I hand wrote this in here and I have terrible handwriting. So follow along. That's why I want you to follow along so that way you can make sure I get this right. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly possessions. Notice what we see there, right? Life should look different. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So what else does this passage teach us? Teach us. Well, what Paul is getting at here and what I think we can really take from this is that there is a great way to view this. If we have on one side, uh, Daniel, I'm gonna use this. You guys, probably some of you guys probably read this in your reading plan. Is a reading plan that you guys do together? That one you sent me. Some of you guys read a reading plan today, hopefully. And uh, it had this great piece of like understanding what this means good works, preparing us. Are we zealous for good works? Well, what we understand is that there are good things that we can do glorifying God, bringing honor to Him. And then there are the same things that we can do thinking that God will love us more because we do them. Motivation. Right? I'm going to mow my neighbor's lawn. One of them feels like a oh, weight. All right, I'm going to go mow my neighbor's lawn because maybe they'll love Jesus if I do. And maybe God will accept me a little bit better because I'm doing something that He wants me to do. Versus, man, Jesus died for me on the cross gave me everything, gave me life abundance. I have this house that I live in. I have a green grass and you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to keep my mower going straight on because I want the people in next door to know that I love Jesus and I want to serve them and I want to do everything I can. So we push right through that fence line and we just go straight into our neighbor's yard. We're zealous for good works. I want to serve. I want to help people. Jesus saved me from this wretch that I was doing terrible things. And I've shared that with this congregation before, right? He pulled me out of that, saved me, gave me life, gave me hope, gave me peace, and gave me the spirit so that I didn't have to continue to fight that. Freedom. Ultimate freedom in Christ. It was like a yoke being pulled off my shoulders, I know that there's people in here who feel like the old Greek mythology, Atlas, holding the world up. But Jesus said, no, I got it. Rest, find freedom, find peace, find joy, find happiness in me because I am giving you the spirit who is going to set your heart, your gaze, your eyes upon all that is good. Lean into that. Find rest and hope and peace in that. And when we think that we want to start taking that world back, I can carry these things on my own again. Jesus, I got this from here. You probably have somebody else to help. Get on our knees and start praying. Father, never let me get prideful enough to think that I can carry that world again. That's what we see in this passage. The Jewish people said, great, you have grace, you are saved. Now here's the world, take it back and hold it up. We cannot go back to the curse of the law. We cannot go back to our lives looking the same as they were before Christ. Because what that does is that cheapens the blood of Christ. Christ didn't just die So that we could just kind of feel good and that's it. Christ died to redeem the world to himself. To call us back to what we were created for. To bring glory and to worship him. Not to say thank you like we do so many times to the people around us who give us gifts, who give us things. Say thank you and then just don't forget about it after or just don't even think about it after that. The gift of grace is something that is life-changing, life-altering, transforming, never going back. We're gonna sing a song in a little bit that has this lyric that I just love. My sins have been erased and I'll never be the same. Paul is showing us in this passage (coughs) that we are called to be new creations. The dead is gone. It's passed away. We are now alive in Christ. The Spirit dwelling in us will give us that power to continue to move forward. So lean on it, rest in it. Let's pray.